was Jesus? In today's message, let's explore Jesus's time here on earth so we can better understand how he changed everything. Hey folks, it's Karen G. from Tower Hills Communications Team. Thanks for listening in to our weekly podcast. We hope today's message inspires you to dig deeper in your faith. And if you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. This week, we're on to our next chapter in our sermon series called The Story. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Hey everyone, welcome back to this story. This is chapter 25, if you're following along in the story. And we're going to continue our conversation about Jesus. Next week is Palm Sunday, so this is a really critical time to be talking about kind of the end of Jesus' ministry before things are set in motion in the last week of his life. So as the intro video was kind of teasing out, uh, people have different views of Jesus. That's always been the case. And, you know, some of the views that I hear often are, well, Jesus was, he was a good man. He was a good teacher. I don't know so much if he was God, but uh, he's somebody worth listening to. He was a holy man. And these are all really interesting uh, because I'm not really sure that Jesus gives us that many options. We'll say more about that later. But really today we're talking about a big question that Jesus asked his disciples. And I think he asks all of us. And that is, who do you say that I am? When I was growing up, my answer to that question was pretty much that Jesus was an important historical figure that was buried somewhere in the ancient past. Someone we should mention and learn about, but with no particular impact on my life. Of course, it was years later um, that all of that changed. When I was able to answer that question for myself, who is Jesus to me? He's my Lord and Savior. Well, Jesus is with his disciples, and this is when he kind of kicks up this question, at least to them, for the first time. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 8. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? Now, Caesarea Philippi was a very interesting place for him to ask this question. It was kind of a a religious melting pot. It was a a religious soup of things going on uh, here. And if you look at the picture, uh, the reason had a lot to do with the fact that the headwaters of the Jordan River started here, and they actually came from the mouth of a cave. So it had become a real magnet for religious activity. And it was the official worship spot of uh, the god Pan. So you think of Pan as the... uh, half goat, half human, and he played that pan flute thing, and um, it was the place where he was worshipped. And there were many ritual courtyards and statues, and this was just a, a religious spot where all sorts of religious activity happened. And uh, and it wasn't just Pan. There were many other gods were kind of worshipped there. And so interesting that Jesus uses his, this uses this context to ask that question, All these people have a lot of opinions um, about different gods. Who do they say that I am? He continues, uh, verse 28. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. 
But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? <laughs> Don't you think like the disciples were like, dang it, I knew he was going to ask that. I knew he was going to say something like that. I knew that he was going to pull that on us, right? <laughs> Who do you say I am? Of course, everyone's quiet. And then Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Boy, that's tough for Peter, right? Peter just went from being, you know, the grade A student, <laughs> right? First in class. You were the Messiah. Yes, Peter, you did it. And then just moments later, he, he's being called Satan by Jesus. That's, I don't know. I feel like I could relate with Peter. <laughs> and, um, but he does that because he's trying to, he's, it's so important for Jesus to let them know that things are changing that there is something that's going to go down real soon and he wants to prepare them as best he can for it. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple but to, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. This kind of represents a time in Jesus's ministry where everything starts to change. He starts to predict his death with greater and greater clarity and frequency with his disciples. All of a sudden, it's like everything is different in his ministry, and he starts getting really locked in on what's going to happen in a couple of weeks. It's kind of like um, when the seasons change. You know that moment when you go from fall to winter and you kind of look up at the trees and you realize there's no more leaves on the trees and you're like, yep, that season has ended and we are now in this new season. Well, this was not unlike Jesus's ministry. That season was over and now a new season was starting. And so Jesus is talking about what's going to happen now, again, more and more. And the rest of Jesus' story is about people trying to figure out who Jesus is. What does this all mean? People are confronted with the question that he just asked. Well, who do people say that I am? And they have all different answers as to who Jesus is. Jesus is leaving clues as to who he is, but they're not all reading the clues the same way. Who is this rabbi really? It's exactly like the masked singer. <laughs> okay, maybe not exactly. If you've ever seen The Masked Singer, the whole idea is, is the, the game is to figure out who is in the costume delivering the performance. Who is that? And, and there's lots of clues along the way. And half the fun of the show is arguing over the clues and the interpretation of the clues to find out who it really is behind the mask. Well, in a less game showy way, of course, people are trying to figure out who is Jesus really? Whose voice is coming through this rabbi from Nazareth? Who is he? John the Baptist resurrected? Elijah come straight from heaven? Who is this? Or is he the Messiah? 
Jesus is leaving clues, but people are kind of still trying to figure it out. Jesus leaves a huge clue for his closest disciples. Matthew 17, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Uh, interesting, when was the last time that you remember seeing something like that before? It was Moses descending from Mount Sinai, and his face was glowing from being in the presence of God. And it said his face shone, and he had to wear a veil. Do you remember this story? It's fascinating that this is happening again. Something about Jesus is signifying the presence and glory of God. His clothes became as white as the light. Of course, this has to do with, with God, with God's glory. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So, so something's up. <laughs> Jesus is communing with these really important figures from the beginning. Jesus somehow is in fellowship. Jesus somehow is in connection to all that came before. And I think this is the testimony of what we've been talking about with Jesus is that when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the story, it's not just many, many stories that make a bunch of chapters. It's really one story that everything is leading to one story, one person, Jesus Christ. Now, as the disciples are getting more and more information about who Jesus really is, um, the people, the crowds, are also trying to figure out who Jesus really is. There's this moment when they're waiting for him to show up to a religious festival. This is John chapter 7. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. Funny, the, it's the same kind of perception that people have of Jesus today. I mean, some things don't change even after 2,000 years. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Again, people were divided about Jesus. They really didn't understand, but they were all trying to read the clues and figure out who is this guy really? Not everyone agreed, but what was certain was that no one had seen anyone like him before. It's as if he were confronting everybody with the same question. Who do you say that I am? Jesus' life, and eventually his death, and then his resurrection, forces that question. Well, Jesus, with his disciples, continues to bring more and more clarity about how everything is going to come down because it was important that they understood that what was about to happen wasn't a surprise to Jesus, wasn't somehow a derailing of the plan, instead was part of the preordained plan all along. He really wanted his disciples to understand that. And so he told them, Mark chapter 10, they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We we're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. 
They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So who is Jesus and why does it matter? Well, all of this, of course, is culminating at the cross, but what exactly happened at the cross? How did it really work? Let's start with what does Scripture say happened? How does Scripture explain what happened on the cross? Romans chapter 3 puts it really succinctly. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Jesus, according to scripture, was a sacrifice. It was God laying his own life down to offer us forgiveness of sin and an eternal home with him. Well, how did he actually accomplish that through Jesus? What do we say then about Jesus to say that all of that was true? Well, the first thing we say is that Jesus is God's self-revelation to the world. In other words, if you were ever confused about God, he decided to become one of us to show us what God was really like so that he could communicate to us in a way that we can understand. Now, to understand the sacrifice of Jesus, there are two really important things we need to understand about his nature. The first is that he's fully human. Jesus is 100% human. He experienced the gamut of human emotions, pain, and even death. Jesus was fully human. The only difference between Jesus and us is that he did not sin. He was never corrupted by sin. He was the only one who was born naturally in perfect obedience to God. The second is that Jesus was also fully God or fully divine. The way that we say it theologically is that Jesus was one person with two natures, human and divine. Well, why do we say that? St. Anselm of Canterbury in the 11th century put it really perfectly and nice and simply for us to understand. Since only God can satisfy the penalty of sin and only a human ought to, then it is necessary for a God-human to do it. Do you see what that's saying there? It's saying that only God can satisfy the penalty of sin. Only God can forgive sin. Therefore, if any forgiving of sin happened on the cross, it means that God had to do it. That sacrifice had to be made by God himself. But here's the problem. God doesn't owe a sacrifice. God doesn't owe a sacrifice to God. Only humanity owes the sacrifice. So it's necessary that Jesus be both human and God to fully pay the price of sins for all. Boy, talk about a religious soup. Caesarea Philippi is not that unlike what the world is like today. Everybody has an opinion of Jesus. And you hear things too, like in our video, like, oh, well, he's a good person, a good moral teacher, somebody who should be admired, a holy man. 
But a lot of people aren't willing to say that he was the Messiah, that he was God. Why is that? Well, I think it's threatening. Because if, if it is true that Jesus is God, then it necessarily has an impact on how I'm supposed to be living my life. It's, it's going to change me. So I'd rather just, you know, say, well, you know, he was, he was a good teacher. The problem is he never really gives us that option of being a good teacher. Here's why. Uh, and I lean on the shoulders of intellectual giants here with C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis very rightly pointed this out in Mere Christianity. He talks about Jesus being liar, lunatic, or Lord. Let's unpack this just for a second, because I think this is really helpful. So Jesus Christ claims to be God. He does. Scripture, it's very clear. He claims to be God. His followers totally understood that he claimed to be God. Therefore, we only have two choices with how we respond. How do we respond to the question, who do you say that I am? We only have two choices. So let's look at first. Let's say his claims were false and he wasn't God. Again, our, our two choices there are, well, he knew his claims were false, so he was a liar, which means he deliberately misrepresented himself, that he was a hypocrite, maybe even demonically influenced, and he died a fool. Right? So how are we going to put your faith in? If he was a liar, he's not going to be a good moral teacher, <laughs> right? Not a holy man. Not, not if he's a liar. Or maybe he wasn't a liar, but he was crazy. He was a lunatic. And I love C.S. Lewis says it, he would be on par with somebody who thinks that, uh, that they're a boiled egg, <laughs> right? That he didn't know his claims were false. He was sincerely deluded. And he was a lunatic with delusions of grandeur. Interestingly, though, the teaching of Jesus and his ministry and message doesn't come off like a crazy person comes off like somebody who is profoundly sane. But I think it, it eliminates that, well, you know, he was, a, he was a good teacher. He was good to take morals after. I don't know. I'm not taking my morals after somebody who lied about being God. Or his claims were true. And if his claims are true, there's really only one answer. He is Lord. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. And then we have a choice. We're either going to accept him or we're going to reject him. If he's Lord, we don't get the luxury of saying, well, I'm not going to decide. That is our decision. If he's Lord, he is speaking out to us even now, asking us, who do you say that I am? And we are called to respond. Listen, I'm not sure where you are in your response to this question. All I can tell you is this. My life changed forever the day that I acknowledged Jesus Christ is Lord. It was scary. It was outside of my comfort zone. It was a whole new world for me. But it changed everything. It was like I could see the world clearly. The veil that had been over my eyes had been lifted. And I could see God's truth plain as day. And it changed me forever. Who do you say that Jesus is? May you, in your heart of hearts, declare that he is Lord. Amen.